This summer, we're taking a break. It's really kind of an intermission in the story, uh, which is a book that's available in the back if you need one of those. Um, It's a narrative of all of Scripture from the beginning of the story historically uh, to the end. It unfolds as a seamless novel. And in your Bibles, it doesn't exactly do it that way. It jumps here and there in history and intermittent poetry and and, uh, other sorts of books. And and sometimes it's hard to put the unfolding story of Scripture together. And we found it a rich experience, haven't we, this last spring, just kind of watching it flow uh, unbroken as if it was a novel. And it's all biblical in its resource, uh, but it ties those Bible passages together in a way that unfolds through time. And we'll be picking that back up in September when we kick off in September. But in between that time in the story, we've been basically taking even more personal the process that we discovered in the story. And that is this, that God loves to write his story into the fabric of our stories. That God's upper story wants to break into our earthly lower story. And we can show hospitality and cooperation with that dream of God. And one of the ways we can do it is by praying circles around things in our life that we long for God to touch, to intervene upon, to shape by his gracious hand. And so this summer we've been talking about what it means to have that kind of a prayer life that opens up by our prayers uh, a construction site for God's grace in our lives. And that's what it's been about. So it doesn't just happen to biblical characters. God still writes his story into our stories today. So this morning, as we start, let's not look at a biblical character, but a guy that you might run into on the street any time. He lives in our time. His name is uh, Doug Bender. Doug Bender. And this is one of those stories that show us how God's story breaks into ours. Let's take a look. Doug Bender. I, I used to cry myself to sleep every night and just beg God. I said, God, I just want one good friend. Wishing that I had one good friend is all I'm asking for. I was just convinced I didn't have any. I look at other people who had friends and I, I was just so jealous, you know. I began to hate myself. I hated everything about me. You know, I hated, I hated the way I talked. I used to think I had a, a really fat bottom lip, so I'd like suck in my lip. I'd walk around school and just suck in my lip because I thought I had a big lip. I thought I walked funny. I thought I looked funny, and because I lacked so much confidence, because I, I hated myself so much, I, I was always awkward. These negative thoughts I had in my head. I thought everybody had that about me. And so every time I saw somebody, I just knew that that's what they were thinking. I knew they just, they were, they were looking at me and saying, oh man, look at that kid, he looks so weird, or look at him, he's so uncool. In fifth grade, my parents told us that um, we were going to move to Virginia. The summer before we left, it was going to be my, my 12th birthday party. My mom had bought the pizza, and we had games ready, and balloons and, and all sorts of things and I think the party was going to be at like 3.30 or something like that and 3.30 comes around and um, nobody was there. You know, half hour goes by, an hour goes by, nobody comes. 
inside of me, I was just, I was just dying. I was just thinking, what is wrong? What's wrong? Why isn't anybody coming? And that day, I just felt like nobody, nobody loves me. That's, that's what I felt. You know, after that, that 12th birthday party, I decided I was never going to have another party again. I was sad, and I was terrified. I believed in God, and I believed that Jesus died for me, and I, I went to church and all of that. But there was something, I guess there was something still missing in the fact that I, I didn't quite understand that God loved me. I just wondered, you know, because I didn't love me. So we moved to Virginia, and I was nervous and didn't know how it was going to go, but then I had this baggage of this, this 12th birthday party that nobody showed up to, and I just, I, I thought, maybe there's something wrong with me. Socially, everything, everything felt awkward. It's like I didn't know what to do with myself. And most people, they'd come up to me and they'd say hi, and I'd be so nervous, I'd walk away, or I'd find an excuse to go to the water fountain. But I remember this one guy named Daniel, and, uh, was persistent. He seemed convinced that he wanted to be my friend. And it felt really weird to me because I looked up to this, this guy as a hero. I was like almost jealous of him. I thought that Daniel was the cool person, and the fact that he was trying to be friends with me, it, it was almost confusing to me. I, I almost didn't believe it call me and, and he'd come over to my house and he saw that I was somebody worth being a friend with and and he invited me in and we um, and we became friends. As my 16th birthday rolled around my, my mom insisted that I was gonna have a party and uh, even though I hadn't had one since I was 12 and I was Super nervous. Um, I was nervous that nobody would come. So I invited Daniel, I invited a couple other people, and but I, I waited to the very last day to invite him. I acted like it was a, it wasn't a big deal. But it was, it was a huge deal to me. The closer the, the time of the party it got, the more nervous I got. I was I just didn't know what was going to happen. But sure enough, Daniel came over and my other friends came over and there was like 30 people that came. People I didn't even know, they were just, everybody just came. When the pe people came to that birthday party, I realized that I had friends, but bigger than that, I realized that that small prayer that I had as, as a kid was something that God heard. All these years I had prayed, I said, God, I just want one good friend. I want one person that, that cares about me, I want one person that that hears me when I talk, that, that knows me and, and, and all of my awkwardness and still likes me. I, I just want, that's, that's all I want, like one person that, that, that likes me. And that day I finally realized that, that God was that person. God was my friend. And, yeah. My name is Doug Bender and I am second. That day I realized that God was my friend. Isn't it true 
like it said in the shack we studied so many long ago, I remember that line still that resonates with me that isn't it a mystery that in relationships is usually where we get broken and in relationships is usually where we are also healed. It, it, it's a paradox, isn't it? That most all of us have experienced somehow that, that we're both wounded by people and then God uses people to show us his love too. Um, I, I wonder this morning, what influence, positive or negative, do you see other people playing in God's story becoming Doug's story? Uh, that's our discussion question this morning, and yes, our church is weird. We actually talk to each other on Sunday morning. So for the next three minutes or so, we, we invite you to turn to someone you came with or somebody new and uh, just discuss this question. What influence, positive or negative, do you see other people playing in God's story becoming Doug's story. All right? Let's do that for just three or four minutes, and then we'll be about our business again. Jump in.
All right. Thank you for jumping into that discussion. I preach. I appreciate so much your willingness to do that. I, I wonder what have you been hearing as you've talked about this. Where did where did the negative influence of people show itself in Doug's story? Anybody tar- identify a place that that happened? I think it's kind of obvious. The the 12-year-old party, right? Have a party and nobody shows up. Now, if you were a parent of this kid, would that not break your heart? You know, uh, and, and there's really no time to, to amend it. They're right off to Virginia. He's living in a new place. Uh, how, how did you see people's influence uh, weaving God's story in? God using people to, to weave him into God's story, into Doug's story. Where was the positive influence? Daniel. Yeah. Consistent friend. And apparently Daniel's influence was contagious, right? And then 30 people show up uh, for his 16th birthday party. Uh, And isn't that just like God? Uh, To know our hurts so specifically that he knows how to set us up for his healing. just, Just like a heavenly father that pays attention to his kids. You know? Well, how incredible that is. And, and, and we discover that when it comes to prayer, that sometimes it requires the risk of community as well. There's risk involved in community. But oh, there's reward and redemptive power in community too, when God's in the midst of it. And, and so we discover when it comes to drawing prayer circles in our lives and our prayer lives, inviting the plan of heaven more into the particulars of how we live, uh, that God continues not only to increase that power as we align ourselves with him, but this morning we're going to learn of the power that increases in prayer to draw his story into our story when we pray in community. Listen to this story this morning from Acts, the 17th chapter, the 12th chapter, 1 through 17. Listen for the power of a community in prayer as this unfolds in the scripture. Now, about that time, Herod the king laid hands on some who belonged to the church in order to mistreat them. And he had James, the brother of John, put to death with a sword. When he saw that that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. Now it was during the days of unleavened bread. When he had seized him, he put him in prison, delivering him to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out before the people. So Peter was kept in prison, but prayer for him was being made fervently by the church of God. On the very night when Herod was about to bring him forward, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and guards in front of the door were watching over the prison. And behold, an angel of the Lord suddenly appeared, and a light shone in the cell, And he struck Peter's side and woke him up, saying, Get up quickly. 
and his chains fell off his hands. And the angel said to him, Gird yourself and put on your sandals. And he did so. And he said to him, Wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And he went out and continued to follow. And he did not know that what was being done by the angel was real, but thought that he was seeing a vision. When they had passed the first and second guard, they came to the iron gate that leads to the city, which opened for them by itself. And they went out and went along one street, and immediately the angel departed from him. When Peter came to himself, he said, Now I know for sure that the Lord has sent forth his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. And when he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, who was also called Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. When he knocked at the door of the gate, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer When she recognized Peter's voice, because of her joy, she did not open the gate, but ran in and announced that Peter was standing in front of the gate. They said to her, You are out of your mind. But she kept insisting that it was so. They kept saying, It is his angel. But Peter continued knocking and when they had opened the door they saw him there and were amazed but motioning to them with his hand to be silent he described to them how the Lord had led him out of the prison and he said report these things to James and the brethren and he left and went to another place Thank you, ladies. That came to life. Isn't it, did, did, did you notice what was happening? Peter was in line to be executed just as James had already been executed. The headlines then sound like the headlines now. Christians were being rounded up for sport. A point was being made with their lives. Herod had arrested Peter, and before the people was going to execute him to make the same message the same intimidating message to the Christians. And and the story turns with that simple word, B-U-T, but. Whenever you come to one of those in Scripture, pay attention to what happens next. But the people of God were praying. Her, Her name's Mary in this story. She's got a son named John Mark. He later grows up probably because of this very experience, to follow Peter as he preaches, records the preaching of Peter, and it's in the gospel that bears this young man's name, John Mark. This is where they met. That night that his mother had gathered some other believers into her home. I kind of think she was a home team leader. And as they gathered together to pray, I, I, I don't know if they did this because they were biblically prompted or, or, or 
I think it's instinctual, isn't it? That, that when we're in trouble, we reach out to our friends and, 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 and they gather around us. But these people didn't just comfort each other. They prayed. Jesus taught that when we come together to pray, it's not just a matter of coming together to comfort one another, but it can also be strategic and powerful, empowering His story to break into our story. It was a prayer circle of sorts on a roof that four friends had drawn with shovels and picks and broken through the roof and lowered their paralytic friend through that circle right in front of Jesus who they could not get to because the crowds were so great they were packed to the open doors into this 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 garden covered house area it was packed to see Jesus and, and, and their friend couldn't get there and Jesus rather than scorning them for uh, the Home Depot job they just created for somebody up there looks up into the dusty hole that this paralytic has been lowered down. And oftentimes we look over this. But Jesus says, because of your faith, you rise and walk. Jesus taught that there was power. And I'm not sure I understand it. I can't do the math. I can't graph it for you. In, in the heavenlies, I don't know how this works. But it's more, I think. It's more, I think, than, than us getting God's attention. I, I had a note on my desk this morning. And, and it's, it's, it's the kind of note that I get from time to time. That I have absolutely no influence over whatsoever. And I've never even particularly invited. But the note said... God woke me up at 2.22 this morning and put this in my spirit for you. Why does God do that? He already know. He already knew. Why did he have to wake her up? Have you ever had a friend that did that for you? What's God up to? It's in, it's in the mysteries of how things work in the heavenlies and how God works. And, and God is mysterious. I can't, I can't graph this for you. I don't know why God would wake up somebody, some ordinary human being, to be the intercessor for, for one of the others of us. But something about that, even when God already knows, and God already knows what He's going to do, is strategically powerful in the spiritual realm. Now, if I said a great deal more about that, I would probably be speculating beyond what I can actually take from Scripture. And frankly, I'm just not that smart. But I, I don't have to know the chemical reactions, the biological processes by which a peanut butter and jelly sandwich becomes strength to my body but I can eat a sandwich, right? And it's as if God has said, just eat the sandwich. Just realize that when you gather together to pray with one another, Jesus says in Matthew 18, 19, when we agree together as those things that we call to have done on earth 
having been done in heaven and those things that we, you know, you know that passage. It first talks about us being in agreement with God and praying His will into the situation. And, but then second of all, it goes on to say that when we pray in agreement with one another, that we will surely hear from the Lord. It, 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 it puts, and the very word it uses for agreement is, well, it's symphonize. It's, uh, let me see if I can pronounce it right. This, this will impress you, won't you? I, I went to school to be able to read this off a piece of paper here. It's, it's symphonesosin. Symphonesosin. See, see why I had trouble remembering that? Sim, sim, symphonesosin. But what it means is to symphonize. You, you've seen a symphony come together. You know, and everybody's tuning. And then all of a sudden, something powerful happens. And that whole symphony resonates in the same note. And the conductor knows now. Now, the song. And whatever was in the script now becomes living in the room. When, 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 when the instruments of the symphony symphonize, when we agree with one another, I, 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 can't, I can't explain it. I, I don't know why it's so, but I've observed it so. You've observed it so. If you've ever play, prayed with a group, particularly if you prayed with a group that continued to pray about whatever you started praying about long enough to see God's answer when it came. Most of us never pray that persistently. Most of us, at the very best, write it down somewhere, close the book, and put it in a drawer. But there's something about holding a, a prayer need with a group of people that you continue to interact with that actually become a living reminder. They become a living prayer journal reminding you of the fact that I'm holding this before the Lord. It helps us persist in prayer. But it makes us a symphony of prayer at the same time. We've experienced that here, haven't we? We experience it in our home teams and in, in, in private and personal ways. We get to know those people, and we get to know them well enough that we're w willing to risk that very thing that we're circling in our lives for God to intervene about. Now, you may not do that just with everybody, but when you get to know someone well enough that you know that they're going to be the, the one that walks in on your 16th birthday... You can share stuff like that. And you can draw prayer circles together as well as individually. And God says that there's power in that. Isn't that true? We've seen it here. I remember that day we drew up a, a list of things to be praying for. It was, a, it, was, it was an impossible situation. The kind of thing that you would not expect a good outcome from. The, the circumstances were stacked as much against whether or not that casino would happen out there on the corner. Do you remember that? Millions and millions and millions, we don't know how many millions of dollars behind the idea, right? And wherever you came out on, on that situation, we, we made a list of prayer things to agree about. As we asked God to intervene in that situation, 800 people walked around the property that day and agreed together in prayer at the sounding of a shofar. You know what that was? That was symphony. That was symphonize. That was before the song. And I think that day we, we called all of heaven 
into that situation. And, and those who were at the, the, the very crux of the, Rob Martinek, the, the, one of those that represented the side that didn't want that to happen, said that up until that point, legally the tide was completely against us. It was a long shot. He even used the term, it was a David and Goliath deal. But he said legally, from the point that we prayed out there, now this, this guy's a lawyer, right? He said he recognized legally from the point that we prayed out there, things started to shift in their legal weight. Until one day, in this world, the song was heard. And something impossible to hold back, God had proven more powerful than the forces of this world. Because his people had prayed. That, that, that's a scriptural thing. The Holy Spirit fell uh, upon They spoke with tongues and they ran out into the streets. And that day their witness among the people was such that, th wasn't it 3,000 came in as new believers there in Jerusalem? And this was the place that just a month earlier they had crucified Jesus Christ on the cross. And Christians up until that point were in locked upper rooms fearful that someone might be coming for them. Eventually the way they came for Peter. But they were all together in one place and were praying. The experience impacted them so much so that when the threats of the city started coming out that eventually rounded up James and rounded up Peter for execution, when that great threat went out over this, this huge momentum and dynamic that was launching the church in the city, everybody there must have been aware of what was happening. It was something that was impossible to ignore. And the powers that be took it on and started trying to threaten the Christians into silence, uh, trying to snuff it out. Do you, do you remember? And that's where this passage starts in Pastor 12. And Herod had already rounded up James and, and killed him, and, and now he's got Peter rounded up. But, but as the threats went out, do you know what the church did? Acts chapter 4. They got together and they prayed. And when they prayed, the place where they prayed was shaken. The song began. The song began, and God tunes our heart to His song before He lets it break in here sometime. I don't know why God chooses that. Maybe it's so we get on the joy of knowing that it's God that's intervening once we see it happen. And so the people gather again to pray. Peter's now in prison. Well, what do you think their prayers Sounded like that night. Oh, Lord, we just pray for Peter's wife. This is going to be tough for her. We pray your comfort upon her. We pray that you'd be her sustainer after Peter's gone. And Peter's kids, Lord, pray for the kids. Don't you know they prayed just like us? Assuming that whatever is impossible for them is probably impossible for God. Maybe not. Maybe they prayed, God, no matter what happens, get glory out of this situation. That's how we see the church praying in, in those days. But in, when, God, when the song finally breaks through, no one's more surprised than the people that are praying. Did you notice that? They're just like us. Oh, no. They, they even, the knock at the door, oh, it's more plausible that that's his angel. Did you catch that? 
Rhoda runs to the door, the servant of the household, because everyone else is busy praying, apparently. She runs to the door, opens the door, and there stands the guy that they're praying for. It's Peter. She's so shocked. Boom! She throws the door closed. Leaves him out there and goes back inside to say, Peter's out there. Somebody else come and deal with this. This is impossible. There's no way. Herod forgot. Three companies of soldiers had been assigned to him to make sure no one on the inside got out, no one on the outside got in. This, 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 this was uh, a National Guard kind of situation, you understand. There's, there's no, it's implausible. But God has said the things that are impossible with men are not impossible with God. When, when, he, when we align our prayers with His will, and, and, and God takes glory in that resonance, things can happen here that are beyond what we would expect. I, I, I kind of like thinking that nobody in there really expected, isn't it obvious? Really expected Peter to show up at the door. So it's not even the boldness of our prayers that release this power. We don't tell God what to do. We do this because God told us to do it. Who among you is sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them anoint them with oil and the prayer of faith will raise him up. Confess your sins therefore one to another so that you may be healed. One to another. Do you hear community in that? Gathered with each other. Invite God in, in, into this reality. I don't know what kind of realities you're going to face this year, but starting very early in this September, we're going to be developing home teams in this place that grow over time to be these very kinds of prayer circles. Places where you can know and be known, love and be loved, serve and be served. Places where at your own pace, you can develop friendships. Not the kind of friends that don't show, but the kind of friends that do. The kind of friends that may have no more power than you to change the things in your life, but together connect with a power that can change all things. I don't want one of you to miss that. I want this next year for you to be a 16th birthday, not a 12th birthday. I long for us to continue to be a group of people that pray God into this, this very circle and all these particulars that we've, we've circled in prayer together. And, and, and you've offered a verse from the scripture that helps me pray the word, not, not tentatively, but tenaciously. And, and, and we agree together and invite God to write his story in our story. Are you open for that? Is that something that you're up to? It's, a, it's amazing to me how things can change dramatically when we just make the connection. Electrically, that's true, isn't it? You've got this whole apparatus over here, a vacuum, let's say, that does a miracle. It cleans the floor, right? 300 years ago, this, 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 this would have been an astonishing thing. 
we work with them like they're a nuisance, right? But, 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 but this, is, this is a miracle of engineering here. But it doesn't do anything but take up space until it gets connected to the power from the source that is already available. Already available. Praying together, connecting with one another, is giving that vacuum its extension cord. I, I don't know the engineering of heaven, but I know the command of my Lord. Pray ye with one another. Let's pray right now. Lord God, we thank you for the simplicity of your teachings for us. It doesn't matter if we're nine or we're 99. You lay it out in a way that we can obey. And Father, I pray this morning for our hearts to be receptive to your word, to be open to the risks of community, especially in this season of the year where we reestablish home teams and get back into relationship with one another this September. But Father, we pray that you would not just make that a social time, but you would create our home teams in such a way that this would be a connecting point to connect us to your power working in our lives. God, our prayer is still before you. Weave your story, Lord God, into ours. If there's some way this morning that you long to make that message personal, we invite you to connect. We invite you to these altars. No one else knows why you're there. But the Lord will know. And, and I'm just believing that someone this morning wants to connect. Wants to say, God, I, I can't handle this on my own. I need your help. I need you to intervene. I need your power. I need your wisdom. I need your engineering in my life. I come to you. This altar's open for those who have known Christ for years and for those who are yet to know him. Make these steps towards this altar this morning. Steps towards the source. We can trust him with the results. And we can pray together until we've prayed through to his faithful answers. Right now. Do you hear the song? We invite you to be part of the symphony. In the name of Christ. Respond as your heart feels led as we stand and join in song together.